All right. We have children's church today. Amen. So all the young children can go to children's church this morning in the house. Yes, all right. Give it up for the children. That's right. May enjoy our praise team this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We had a couple, had some folks that are not feeling well, so our drummer couldn't be with us, some of our little precious little girls. And then uh, my brother, Doug. My brother, Doug, has a son that's in the hospital, and so he's taking care of his um, grandchild this afternoon. So uh, there is stuff going around, sickness going around, and I'm sure y'all are aware, aware of it. So anyway, it's good to have each and every one of you in the house this morning. I want to thank you. Uh, it was wonderful uh, to have Brother Daryl uh, Renault and uh, Brother David Throckmorton to fill in while we were gone. Uh, we had a really uh, glorious time, Denine and I. And before we left, and man, all the cards and everything, I mean, like I said Wednesday night, we were able to do things that we would not have been able to do because of your love and your generosity uh, to us. And so we just appreciate it so much. So... One of the big topics was, before we left, it had to do with a pink Jeep. <laughs> so, here we go. Here is the pink Jeep. Now, <laughs> isn't that awesome? That God can make something. I'm not talking about the Jeep or me. But anyway, but, the, but I look at the backdrop and I'm thinking, man, how incredibly beautiful that was. But if you notice that we're on the front and the back end of this Jeep, man. So, we were pushing and pulling at the same time. So, but anyway, just kind of a little trick photo there going on. But truly, we want to just thank you from the bottom of our heart. It was just a true joy to be able to do that, uh, for, be away for the last couple of weeks and enjoy our family in North Carolina. So we went from Arizona and went to North Carolina and spent a week with our kids. I got to see my grandson play football on Friday night. And uh, what a joy. He caught a pass right in front of me. I was taking a picture and he about ran like right into me. And so, but that's all right. It was all good. Yeah. I like to be part of the play, you know, so I like to be part of it. It's all good. But anyway, I'm excited. You know, you guys have had a break from the book of Acts for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> Guess what? We're, we are still in the book of Acts. That's exactly right. So if you will, open up your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at Acts chapter 13. And... Uh, and as you're doing that, I want to share a little something with you, kind of bring you up to date where we're at going through the book of Acts. In Jerusalem in A.D. 30, Jesus died on a cross, resurrected on the third day, then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan out of the joy, out of joy the church was born. And I want us to think about that. And powered by the Holy Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon. 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and put on praise. And out of joy, the good news creates community. Peter and John then continued to spread the good news through preaching and miracles, and the church grew another 5,000. Yet inside and outside forces threaten the unity of the church. Still, 
out of joy, the church multiplied. In A.D. 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon connecting the Old Testament to Jesus and rebuking in love the people for their hard hearts. And, and, and for the people in their hard hearts, they were enraged. The people stoned Stephen, making him the first Christian martyr. In A.D. 34, the good news continued to multiply through Philip's ministry in Samaria and Caesarea. Meanwhile, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. After this conversion, the good news continued to spread through the ministry of Paul and Peter. God gave Peter a vision and used him first to reach the Gentiles. And as the believers were scattered because of persecution, Antioch became the church's center of operations while the Lord continued to protect the church in Jerusalem. In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James, this is what we talked about the last time, and had Peter arrested, but an angel of the Lord rescued Peter, leading him out of prison. In every day and age, the church receives both persecution and praise. All multiplication comes at a cost. But we must fight for and pray for unity. We must fight for and we must pray for unity in this body, in the body of Christ. We must. We must be willing to give up our preferences we must be willing to say goodbye. We must be willing to move forward for the good of the church and the sake of the good news. Out of joy, the church multiplies. This is Acts, and the good news is always advancing. It's always advancing. Danina and I have been with you guys for a wonderful 22 months. Our hearts have been knitted together with each and every one of you. We are grateful for God's direction for all of our lives together to lead us here to minister alongside each and every one of you. So as we go into the Word of God this morning, I want to give you sort of a state of the union of the Beverly Hills campus, Hills Campus Cornerstone. I want to talk a little bit about where we came from, kind of where we're at today, and where we're going tomorrow. And so when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, you know, that when it started at the beginning, uh, the beginning, which I was so grateful that Daryl was here a couple weeks ago, because Daryl was very instrumental in the formation of the, what we have right here, right now. And so I thank the Lord for using Daryl to help bring this together. Not only Daryl and Cornerstone, but also uh, Heritage Baptist as well, and Brother Barry, whom I never met. And so I just want to encourage you as we look, two congregations, Cornerstone Baptist and Heritage Baptist, joined together, listen, joined together Heritage unselfishly for the sake of the gospel, walked across the street over here to um, the community center, which is where Cornerstone, and if I mess something up, y'all can correct me, all right? But the thing that was a blessing was is that I know that Daryl, I know Pastor Greg had a vision to 
come out and do a new work in this area that needed to be gospel. People, there needed to be a church in here. They felt there needed to be a church, a new plant. And so I know Daryl was over at the community center doing that. All the while that was going on in this church here called Heritage Baptist, Pastor Barry was uh, fighting through cancer. And I can't even begin to fathom standing up here in a pulpit as a pastor fighting through cancer and all that he endured. And I've heard so many different stories from Brother Bob and everything uh, that he had to do, even, even to help finish some of the verses and words. Uh, it, that impresses me, you know. Uh, but, the, but the thing that, that saddens my heart is that a lot of people had left, I guess, and it came down to a few numbers. But here's what got me was, unselfishly, this congregation called Heritage Baptist got up, walked out this church, and walked across that street and went over to, to Pastor Darrell. And they didn't want to see the doors close on this campus and facility. They wanted to see the gospel spread. And they merged together. That took place. And I'm saying this because a lot of you may not even understand the history behind the Hills campus. But they signed a covenant agreement that was signed on June 7, 2016. And so really, the church merging together, that's kind of like the birth of this church, really, when you combine both the congregations together. Brother Darrell being instrumental in it, sat down with Brother Barry, and I think they both signed the covenant, according to uh, Brother Dan Rickson. And so... Uh, and so when I look at this, and, and so Daryl became the first pastor of the Hills Campus Church for a period of time. I don't even know how long it was. But then after Pastor Daryl was here, then Pastor David Smith came. And I know you all know Pastor David Smith, right? And so, and he's preached here since, he's, he's, he's brought the sermon here as well since I've been here as well. In fact, he was instrumental in kicking it off to get me to uh, think about coming here. And I've known Pastor David for over 20 years. Great man of God. Loves the Lord with everything that he is from his toes. He loves the Lord. And so he was here for a period of time, nearly a year. And then we came. Our first Sunday, and I was going to do this, our first Sunday was Christmas Eve. All right, Christmas Eve was the first service. And I was going to bring my little joy bell. And remember that, the bell? And uh, I was going to bring it and, uh, and shake it a little bit, but um, um, what a wonderful time that was. I think about where the church has come from, and those of you that have been here during the duration know. And it wasn't always easy. I'm sure there were struggles, and, and there are struggles. There will always be struggles. This message today is going to be so vital for you to hear this this morning. Because the good news, the gospel always advances. And how it advances is through people like you and I. The body, the church. This is how it advances. So I want to encourage you to really listen this morning. See, presently, look around. This was a church that was about to close. And I believe we're far from that, don't you? Amen. And so, and so I, I'm encouraged this morning. 
And I'm encouraged about some of the things that we're doing here. I'm, I'm encouraged by the organization that's being set up within in the house. Through our ministerial teams, through our leaders that we have. We have a long way to go, and there's still a lot of work in front of us. But we are making headway. And I don't want you to be discouraged by it. I want you to be encouraged by what you're seeing. No matter what you see. You know what? The devil's a liar. And he will cause you to think, oh, we're not getting better, but we are. I see it. And many of you do too as well. One of the things I wanted to share was, was the Who's Your One campaign that we started doing a few about a month or so ago. And that board is out in the foyer. When you look at it and see all those ping pong balls and people who are sharing their faith, the amber balls mean that, that uh, the white balls mean you put the name on there and you drop it in there. That's who you're praying for. God brought, put them on your heart to pray and to hopefully open up dialect to lead them to Jesus. The amber ball is that you have a spiritual conversation with that person that you've been praying for. And the green ball is that they have received Jesus as their Savior. And so it's just a way for us to visually see what's going on within the campus of what we're doing within the people in the body of Christ here at the Hills campus. So with that, I want to share a little special thing with you. Brother Dan, if you could share with that for me. Hey, good morning, Hills Campus family. It's good to have you here in the Lord's house this morning. I'm here with uh, Sheila Boss. And uh, you remember a couple months ago we did Who's Your One campaign? And you had uh, people come up and they had little white ping pong balls and they put the name of Who's Your One? Who's Your One? That person that you know that immediately comes to your name, uh, their name comes to your mind because they're lost they don't know Jesus is Savior. And so we had everybody come up and they put the name of that one that came to their mind. And Sister Sheila had one that came to her mind, and she put it on there. We prayed uh, for uh, these individuals that everybody filled out, and we put them in the display. It's in the foyer. When you come in, you see it. And uh, so Who's Your One is an incredible campaign. And Sister Sheila has a wonderful story she wants to share with you about Who's Your One. Thank Go ahead, Sister Sheila. Okay. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, we, um, Tom and I have three children and ten grandchildren, and one of our grandsons asked me, Grandma, I wonder about God. And I was overwhelmed, and I tried to give him so much information. And the poor child looked at me like a deer in headlights. So I backed away, and I just um, prayed someone, God would send someone to share love of Jesus with him. And that was three years ago. And um, so here we are at church, and our pastor starts challenging our, our congregation with who's your one. And that child came to my mind immediately. And as God had planned, him and four granddaughters were coming down for a short visit with us. So I put Wyatt's name on the uh, ping pong ball, dropped it in, and then I wrote his name and the date in my Bible. They showed up. We were doing so much. We had little time. It was a short visit. So, you know, about the last day of their visit, um, I felt like God was pressing on my heart. And I just rode to Romans. You know, no, no fuss, no muss. I didn't think about it much. I just, I went in and, and got Bibles. I have a lot of Bibles because I like to journal and, um, and then switch Bibles. So I came out with five Bibles. I sat all five of them at the table and gave them each a, a verse out of Romans. And they went around the table. They looked up their verses and read their verses, and we talked about each one. 
when uh, we were done, I, I explained to them that this was a decision that they had to make. It was between them and God, and um, I would like for them to all bow their heads. And they didn't have to tell us, but, you know, just, you know, if they wanted to ask to tell Jesus, they knew that they were sinners. And um, ask him to forgive their sins and to come into their heart. And it was entirely up to them. And they all did. They all bowed their heads. And I um, did have the opportunity to ask Wyatt and Kylie. And, um, and they told me they had both prayed. So that was a blessing. Um, also, while we were sitting here, our daughter snapped a picture of um, of us all sitting there, and that this very table, right yes, here. right here, the five, the five children, and um, and it was just such a blessing to that was like a gift from God, saying, "This is your gift, and uh, this is your blessing from uh, Hoosier One," and I'm forever grateful. Amen, sister. That is an awesome story. That's some testimony. And listen, who's your one? Who's your one? Have you been talking to them, been sharing Jesus with them? Or maybe you need to write on a ping pong ball and start it right now today. So I just want to encourage you. You can have your own story, just like Sister Sheila's story with her grandkids at this very table right here. So get on board with who's your one. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. Isn't that awesome? I don't know. I think it's every grandparent's dream that they have their grandkids come to know Jesus as Savior, right? I remember when my kids came to know Jesus as Savior. Joy filled my heart to know that I could see my family, my son, my daughter-in-law, my kids. They were complete. They knew Jesus as Savior. So I know, I, don't, I can lay my head down at night knowing that they're going to be with the Savior if anything happens. And so there's no, uh, no more rest for the soul than to know that, especially when it comes to your family members. And so... And so that is, that is at present. This is what we're doing. This is, there's nothing more important than sharing the love of Jesus Christ with people. This is what we're about. And we've got so much room to grow. And, and, but we need to come together as a body of Christ to grow together. And that's what we're doing. I think when you look back in the foyer and you see that on the way out, check that out. And just see how many people have shared Christ with their one. And how many have received Christ as their Savior because they started praying for one right here and then went out there and actively pursued their one and shared the love of Christ with them and like Sister Sheila and Tom do. So I just give praise and glory for what God is doing here. And there's a lot more happening. I mean, we've got this Thursday. What a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm not meaning just share it uh, just physically by being here, but verbally sharing Jesus. What Jesus has for us to share is the greatest news. we got a whole world that's dying around us without Jesus Christ. And right here in our midst, in our Jerusalem, right here, there's many people that are dying. If they died today, they would split hell wide open because they don't know Jesus. And so God has this church here. This is, this is the book of Acts right here. You are present in the book of Acts right now. Right now, you are here. And so I want to encourage you in that. And in the future, you know, I'm looking to see great things. You know, I'm thinking about this church in the future and what it's going to look like. And it's something to think about. And it's something to, to pray about. And it's something that when we come together. So here we are. Listen, as a result of the book of Acts, 
you and I are the result of it. We are sitting right here in this room as a result of the book of Acts. This first century narrative that we've been studying all along, listen, reading and studying is tied directly to who we are on this side of the world, miles and miles and miles away from Jerusalem. Think about that for a minute. We are a product of the activity of that first century that we cannot deny. We cannot deny that. If we are saved, we are tied directly to the first 3,000 who got saved. We are tied directly to the 5,000 that got saved. In some way, we are tied to each and every one. It started in Jerusalem. And then it moved from Jerusalem to where? To Judea and then Samaria. And we are that uttermost parts of the world. And we have a mission as the church, as the body of Christ. You know, there are still roads in Rome that are still driven on from the Roman days. Ancient roads that they still use today. They have some kind of a road system. When I think about our road system, of course, i got to admit, Florida has pretty decent roads, to tell you the truth. You go to North Carolina and South Carolina and you run through 90, y'all know what I'm talking about, you've been up through 95. you got to get your car fixed when you get through, right? I'm telling you. But listen, but can you imagine in Rome, they built such a roadway system that 2,000 years later, you can still drive on today. Not some of them, not all of them. But it is amazing. But yet, all that, all that stuff that they did in Rome, they still killed our brothers and sisters. They still fed them to the lions. Think about that. They fed them to the lions, severe persecution to the church to destroy the faith. They tried to destroy the faith. And they could not destroy the faith. The gospel is spreading from Paul to the ends of the earth. And as we go into chapter 13 today, this is a big transition from the apostles in Jerusalem and Peter to the apostle Paul as he goes to the Gentiles in the, in, in the church of Antioch, which is the church to the Gentiles, is what it's known for. As it goes and it spreads the gospel far and wide. Because of Antioch, you and I sit here in this place today. Let that sink in. It's just an amazing, it's an amazing fact. God can't fail. And I want us to look at the church in Antioch. So let's look at Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. We're going to hit these first three verses. We're going to park on them. In the church that was at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, the Cyrenian, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to do. Then after they fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Now we're going to park on these verses for a while because I want to kind of take them apart a little bit. There's so much in these verses that we just don't see sometimes. We need, as the Hills Campus, need to be a church like, like Antioch. A gospel-centered powerhouse. That's what they were. Outside of Jerusalem, it is shaped, it is molded, and fueled by the good news of Jesus Christ. It is. The men and women are seen as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. 
where he, listen, Jesus died on the cross. He, he took the wrath that was meant for all of us, for each and every one of us, and them as well. And in returning, coming back, resurrected from the dead, he imputes his righteousness into all of our lives, and we're saved forever free. And forever, we don't have to worry about dying ever to live with Jesus Christ forever because of what Jesus did. Because of his love for us. These people got it. These people experienced Jesus and his resurrection a lot with the leaders. And these people got it and they did everything they could. Everything they could to share what Jesus did for them other people or we would not be sitting here today the gospel the good news is advancing it's always always advancing and it and listen regardless of the people's background jesus came for all he came for all people think about it paul and barnabas working together side by side that in itself is a testament to jesus christ it's a testament of the power of Jesus Christ. Let's look at this amazing thing. If you look back at Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, 36 through 37, listen to this. 36, it says, Joseph, a Levite, and a Cypriot by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas. Joseph's name was changed to Barnabas, which means what? He is the son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned. He brought the money and he laid it, where? At the apostles' feet. He sold his property, took all the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas, or Joseph, but he's now Barnabas, is all in. He's committed. He's in. He believes. He knows Jesus. Man, he wants to walk. His life is sold out for who? For Jesus. He's sold out. He's all completely in. From Joseph to Barnabas, think about it. I mean, has, he had his name changed. From Joseph to Barnabas, the son of encouragement. His temperament changed, as well as the hold of his wealth. It all changed. And he sold what he had, and he gave it to the apostles for distribution, to help people out. He was changed by the beauty of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Generous Barnabas was encouraging. He had no problem getting under authority. He had no problem taking orders. He is legitimately sold out. He's not a fake Christian. There's no such thing as a fake Christian. He is Christian through and through. He has committed his life to Jesus Christ. How do we know he's not fake? I'll tell you how we know. There's another story in that same area about Ananias and Sapphira. What happened to them? Remember? They sold some stuff too. But they didn't bring all the money in, did they? And they lied. And they paid the price for it. Barnabas was the real deal. And we know that for that fact right there just by itself. Then we see, listen, Saul or Paul. Listen to this, Acts 8. Remember Acts 8? We went through Acts 8. 1 through 3, it says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. Stephen, think about this. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. 
Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. Listen, Saul is ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. That's what Paul was doing. That's what Saul was doing. Surely, surely Barnabas knew some of the women whose homes were kicked in by Paul, by Saul. Now think about that for a minute. Surely Barnabas knew those families. Surely Barnabas knew some of those members of the church. Surely he knew some of them that were Christians. Surely he knew when they were going in and Saul was persecuted and dragging whole families out of, the, out of their homes, changing their entire world. The world was destroyed because of Saul's zeal for Judaism. Think about that. Here's Barnabas. So here's my question. My question is, how do they even work together in Antioch? How do they work together in Antioch? This is how. Because of the power of the gospel, it reconciles each other unto Christ and to each other. The power of the gospel brings us together. Because, listen, their mindset was God first, people second. God first. People second, whatever God wants, God gets. They learn how to get past those things. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul understood this, and he wrote, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit. He said, But in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. I think we must pause on this sometimes. Sometimes we elevate ourselves as more important than anybody else. When the opposite is actually true, we're the least of everybody else. The way it should be, that's God's way. This is the miracle of the gospel. The good news moves on Saul and Barnabas, and they can come together and work together for the kingdom. That's a miracle. Under some trying circumstances, listen, they will be willing to die for one another as they proceed forward. We see this in the church of Antioch where people... Listen, the people of Antioch were one time enemies of each other. And now because of the power of the gospel, they're working together for the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul and Barnabas partnered up to share the good news and start churches all over the place. And because they were willing to get underneath the authority of Jesus Christ, they were able to work together, start new churches, and here we sit in these pews because of what they did. And that's an example for you and for me and for all of us to take in and to cherish within our life. There was another man that I listed in that scripture, Mannion. Let's talk about Mannion for a minute. A very close friend of Herod Agrippa I. Think about this for a minute. The Herod families were not great. Amen? Remember Herod the Great? At the birth of Christ, he decrees that all babies under two be put to death. Remember that? 
Who would do such a horrendous thing? Had brother-in-law, mother-in-law executed? Who would do such a thing? Some of you might like that. I don't know. No, no, I'm just kidding. That's not a joking matter for real. And then Herod Antipas. Listen, next, he marries his stepbrother's ex-wife. Lust after stepbrother's ex-wife's daughter. Right? Says, I will give you whatever you want in my kingdom. And what does she ask for? John the Baptist's head. And he does it. Brings John the Baptist's head on a platter. He does it. She asked for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Listen, and the night Jesus was arrested, Pilate sends Jesus to Herod. Herod thinks he's a magician. This is great. Let's get Jesus in here. He's a magician. Jesus refuses to do miracles. And then Manian, he's a lifelong friend of Herod Agrippa, who is the grandson of Herod the Great. And we talked about him the last time I was here. He's the one that had James killed. He's the one that imprisoned Peter, going to do the same thing to Peter he did to James. But the angel of the Lord intervened. And then after that story out of 12, and we didn't really get to those verses, but Herod ends up dying. Because men started glorifying him, and the angel of the Lord came down and struck Herod, and he died full of worms. Manion was a lifelong friend of Herod. He was the inner circle of Herod. But yet, all these men and women at Antioch are following Christ, including many. How can that happen? This is a testimony. Listen, it's a testimony of overcoming what? Overcoming our past and looking to our future. In Christ. In Christ. In Christ. When we think we have done something so bad, so wrong, that you cannot be used of God, something's wrong. That we have been pushed the boundary too far to be forgiven and can't never be useful enough for God's kingdom. Something's wrong. We must all get over ourselves. It's not about us and it's not about our past. It's about our today and who we're under, the authority we're under. It's about today. Forget the past. It's behind us. It's gone. We live in the present. And that's a gift from God. We got to get past our past. We got to get over ourselves. We must get out of our own way. The truth is, listen, the truth is, none of us are even good at sinning. Think about that. We're not. When we do that and we dwell on our past, listen, I love when we would call ourselves a navel gazer. Because what are you looking at? You're looking at yourself. You're not looking at a God Almighty who forgave you of every sin you've ever committed. You're looking, you're looking at yourself. You're inside yourself. And you can't forgive yourself. God wants us to put it in the past. Jesus died for all of our sins. You say, oh, look how bad I know I am, how bad I was. 
I can't be used of God. Listen, it's never about how awful you were. It's about how awesome God is. It's not about how awful you are. It's about how awesome God is. He's awesome. He grants freedom to those who will take him in. Who will say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't live it. I can't be it. Look, Lord, I know you know my past. But I know you also know my future. Lord, I give up. I give it all to you. Jesus, it's about you. It's not about me. It's about you. Let me get my eyes off myself and get my eyes on you. I say this because i got to tell myself this every single day. Every day I gotta tell myself this. This is precious. What Jesus did for us is very precious. It is often God's consistent practice to pull people from the fringes of darkness and depravity, to radically change their lives, to become His bright light to a lost and dying world. God has a way of doing it. Listen, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 talks about it emphatically. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Listen, brothers, he says, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many are noble by birth. Instead, God, listen, God has what? Chosen what is foolish in the world to shame who? The wise. And God has chosen what is what? Weak in the world. Weak what? Weak as sinners. He's chosen us out of sin to become saints of God. Foolish, weak, listen, to shame the strong. has chosen what is insignificant. How many of you feel insignificant? Come on, be honest. Some, I do too. Two hands, feet, everything. In this huge universe, I feel like Smaller than a gnat. I'm insignificant. But God takes all of us in our insignificance and makes us somebody. For His glory, for His good. Not for us, but for Him. So that no one can boast in His presence. I can't boast in His presence, neither can you. If you do, oh, I feel sorry for you. Who would do that? Stand before God, the Bible says every mouth is going to be shut. Because you're going to know. Whether you believed or didn't believe, you're going to know. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue, every lost, saved person in the world, every single person in the world, lost or saved, is going to stand face to face, and they're going to bow a knee. They're going to confess Jesus is Lord. It's going to be a sad day for some. Not for some, for most. Because there's so many people dying and going to hell today. He said, but it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became God-given, wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, redemption, in order that what? As it is written, the one who boasts must do what? We must boast who? In the Lord. We must boast in the Lord. He loves to take all of us, the foolish things in the world, to confound and mess with the wisdom of the wise people who think they're so wise. This is God's preference, and it's awesome. Look through your Bibles and all the foolish things that he 
the foolish ones that he took. And look what he did to them. You're no different. The glory of God is that you never out sin His grace. You never out sin God's grace. Never. There are many characters in the Bible who would chuckle at what you have done in your sin compared to what they've done. The transforming power of the gospel in Manny's life, for example, provided him, listen, a changed life from the old man that he was to the new man that God can use. That's why he's in Antioch. That's why he's there. God radically transformed his life. He saved him from the mire, from the Herodian regime. He, he saved him out of that and made him something to be useful for God's purpose. It's amazing. But it also shows a level of trust on Manian's part that even with the darkest of past, God can and will change the very heart of a person for Christian ministry. He will do it. There is diversity in this church in Antioch that we need to also know about as well. Think about this. Look at these people. Barnabas, right? Barnabas was a Hellenistic Jew from Cyprus. A Hellenistic Jew means that part of the discourse back in the B.C. time, when they were taken in to Persia, Babylonia, captivity, some of them got let go and they were spread all over the place. And they were Greek-speaking. They became Greek-speaking Jews. And they were everywhere. Barnabas is from Cyprus. Simeon, look at Simeon. Don't know where he is actually from, but he, he is called Niger. That word Niger means black. And most scholars and commentaries, everyone I've ever read, they think he was a black man. And his skin was black. And then, number, look at Lucius. Lucius is from Cyrene, which is African. It's in Africa. And then Manian, he's a Palestinian Greek Herodian. That's what he is. And then there's Saul of Tarsus. Grew up in Jerusalem, is a Jew, but not the same kind of Jew as Barnabas. Saul is a Hebraic Jew. This list shows a type of Heinz 57 in the church of Antioch. Think about that. There's a lot, so much diversity in this church. These were people at a time, listen, at a time who would not serve together, let alone get along with each other, ever. These are people who were at spectrum, so polar opposite, they would not even talk to each other, look at each other. You would never stick these people in a home together. Never. They would freak out. They would kill each other. Why? Because they were trained from birth to despise the other men on this, on this list. But the gospel, the good news, shows up. Listen, to tear down all the walls, to tear down all the barriers. Our country has such a hard time with this. We are humans made in the image of God. I don't care what our skin color is or way we are. We're made in the image of the King of Kings and the Lord. We're made in His image. 
And we're valued in that respect because we are made. We are a soul. We matter to God. We matter. God would not have made us. Every soul matters. But the gospel, the good news, shows up. Tears down walls and barriers. The hostility of cultural identification. The social economic status. And created a new body called the church. A new people making us all what? One. And isn't it funny how man always gets in the way? He always gets in the way trying to disrupt it. That's why we have denominations. That's man's doing. That's not God's doing. That's man's doing. Man gets in the way. In Galatians 3, 27, 29, listen to this. For as many as you as have been baptized into Christ have been put on Christ like a garment, there is, listen to this, no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Neither Jew or Greek, slave or free. The gospel does that. For this to happen, there must be an ongoing ethic. An ethic of what? Of confession and repentance. Right? Confession, repentance, and a fight. A real fight for true community. We need to fight for community. Without those three things, this could never work. Never. These are a group of men who are serious about living for God, hearing from the Lord. Also, the type of relational harmony they have. Listen, a group of men very serious about seeking the Lord and hearing from Him. Amen? They want to hear from God. Praying and listening to God. How? You know how? Verse 2. It said, the Holy Spirit said. When the Holy Spirit says and they listen and do it, then they're hearing from God. They're being obedient. Praying, fasting, worshiping, and aligning their world to the Lord. Their world to the Lord. They're aligning their world to the Lord. And that's what we have to do. So how does the Lord speak? God speaks in many ways. God speaks through people. God speaks through circumstances, impressions, dreams, visions, etc. But this is the key. Listen, I want everyone to get this. However God speaks to you, he will never contradict or go against his word. Ever. I don't care how God speaks to you, but if it contradicts this, then God's not speaking to you. To which I emphatically tell you, if you truly want to hear from God, you must times 10,000 be in his word. Every single day. Don't leave it on the shelf. Read it. He does speak, and he speaks very loudly in this book. So your circumstances, dreams, visions, premonitions, whatever you want to call, must always be filtered through what? Through the pages of the Word of God. We must all grow into his will. We must dial into God's character by entering, diving into his word. The word of God is our litmus test. Listen, for what we should do and how we should do it. 
It is our litmus test. We must be informed. We must be filtered by his word. Listen, folks, there are no asterisks in the Bible that says, except for you. Think about that. There are no asterisks except for you. It's not there. Nowhere. Never happened. Never will. The filter for the Lord leading me is the word of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell me to marry Deneen Drummond. It doesn't tell me that in the Bible. It doesn't. But the Bible does say, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18, 22. To seek a woman that's after God's heart. After God. That's what I have. What about coming to the Hills Campus Church? It's not in the Bible. It's not. But I know what's in the Bible. It says, for us not to forsake sending ourselves together is the habit of some. Right? Is that in the Bible? I need to be in the Lord's house. Wherever God sends me to be, that's where I need to be. I'm glad y'all are here. Y'all being obedient. That's cool. <laughs> Amen. I'm glad I'm here too. <laughs> it's important. But the gift of preaching and teaching, listen, is what I have been given for the equipping of the saints and building up the body of Christ. So I know by the word of God, I'm supposed to be here. I know that. Antioch is also, listen, Antioch is also open-handed. And we see this in the scripture. Man, they collected money to help out Jerusalem during the famine. Think about this. Training, they're not only that, they're training, evangelizing, equipping, and seeking in prayer the Lord's will. And this blows me away. Paul and Barnabas. This really blew me away when I was looking at the scripture. Paul and Barnabas. Listen, see the church. They're the leaders. They're the leaders in the church of Antioch, Paul and Barnabas. Think about this for a minute. Now check this out. They train, and then the church lays hands on them, the trainers of the church, and sends them out. Sends them out. That's amazing to me. So when I get done, y'all can lay your hands on me and send me out. No, I'm just kidding. But here is a principle. And I want you to get this. Get this principle here from your pastor. Listen, if God has worked in your heart and life, it isn't because of your pastor or the person, but the God of the person. Do not get caught exalting the vessel more than the vessel maker. Ever, ever, don't. We as people can put too much emphasis on jars made of clay. Don't do that. You'll be let down, I'm telling you. Yes, we honor people, but we never more than we honor the God of the people. We should encourage, thank, and honor them. Don't exalt them high, for we, they will run out of air. Don't do it. Don't exalt this pastor, ever. God is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. So let's work through our diversity in unity. Let's be prayed up, led by his spirit, which means we must hear his spirit and do what his spirit says. Let's be open-minded with everything, watching God move in amongst us. And he is moving in amongst us. We must watch him. He's there. And listen, this is the big wow for me. The Hills Campus 
what could the hills campus look like 100 years from now? That's what I want to see. Even though I won't see it, but I'll see it. As God builds his church, open-handed and sacrificial. We have the fall festival this week. We have people moving into ministry for some kind, somewhere. Man, we got kids, teenagers. We need help in all these different areas. And I want to implore you to jump in there. Find a place, whether it's sitting there listening, reading, encouraging, whatever it is. Find your place. Find it. Don't just come in here and take up space on a pew. Find a place and a space to serve. Find a place. We cannot grow without all of you being involved in some form or fashion. We have a great opportunity to grow in Jesus. And God wants us to. God designed us to. God put us together. He put these people together. He put all of you together for what? To share the gospel of Jesus Christ and see people saved. That means the little children need to hear the gospel. That means our students need to hear the gospel. That means our senior adults need to hear the gospel. That means our middle-aged folks need to hear the gospel. The Bridgers, all of them. The Boomers, the Bridgers. Generation Z, X, Y, Q, whatever. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to, listen, be fed Jesus Christ. We need to, we need to hear about Jesus. He's the only way we're going to save. He's the only way we're going to be together in heaven. He's the only way. It's, that's the way God designed it to build his church. It's for us to share it together. And I know some of you wonder, well, why do we do this fall festival? That's one reason. Trying to get opportunity to share Jesus with these people that come on our campus. To let them know that we exist in their neighborhood. We're not just in here to look pretty, but we're in here to make an impact in their life. And in order to make that impact, we've got to be here. We've got to be present. Because when you're not present, you know what? You send a message to them. Because we're not equipped or ready to do it. And when we're not here, we're not present, we send a message that it's, it's not that big a deal. God ain't that big a deal. God is the biggest deal. <laughs> Ever. We must be about what he wants us to do. Amen? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time together. I thank you, Lord, for <laughs> these sweet people. Lord, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, probably more so than I'm preaching to them. And Lord, it's my prayer, God, that as we listen to your word and we dive into your word, that we see the example of Antioch in amongst us, Father, Lord, and we, we would see that in here. Yes, we're diverse. Yeah, we have different personalities. We have different traits. We have different likes. We have different dislikes. We have all kinds of different things. And yes, Lord, sometimes... Sometimes people get on my nerves and sometimes I get on their nerves and sometimes uh, we're quirky and sometimes we don't know what we're doing or, or whatever. And Lord, I pray that we can look beyond that and keep our eyes focused on you and get along with one another and love each other more than we love ourselves. So Lord, I thank you for all our folks that are here. Encourage them this morning to know, God, that they're here and God, that you're here with them to make an impact in their life. And to use them for the glory of God. 
just like Sheila was used and Tom for their grandchildren. Lord, I love that. They took it seriously. They shared the gospel and their grandchildren get saved because of it. And Lord, I praise you, Jesus, for that. That only happens because of you. Lord, if there's someone in our midst that doesn't know you as Savior, it's my prayer that right now they say, you know, I want some of what Pastor Phil or Sister Sheila and them have. I, I want to be able to do that. I want to do that. I need to be saved. I've never trusted Christ as Savior, but I want to trust him as Savior. Just right now, just right now. If that's you, right now, say, Jesus, come into my heart. Change my life. I want to live for you from this day forward the best way I know how. Chasing after you, Jesus. Forgive me for my sinfulness and my past. Forgive me for my sin, Jesus. I trust you as my Savior today by the faith that I have. I turn from the way I'm living to chase after you with all my heart, God, today. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And Lord, I thank these that are Christians. Lord, it's time to step up and to step out and to do, God, what you've called us to do. Lord, I'm eternally grateful for everybody that's here. Let us have a great week. Lord, may may the power of God be manifested in each one of us as we pour into the life of those who may have never heard the gospel or who Jesus is. Equip us this week in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Folks, have a great week. We'll see you. We got Bible study tonight at 6. Bob Ferrier, don't, don't come be part of this. Excellent. I want to be here for that. All right, love you.
hand there. I tried to tape it with one hand, Lois. I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot to that. They gave us Yeah. Uh, it makes a huge difference. <laughs> 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 